You are listening to the weekly podcast from Journey Christian Church. For more information about Journey, please check out our website at journeychristian.com. We are a community of fully devoted disciples of Jesus who reach out to love our neighbors, serve the hurting, and develop leaders for ministry. We are in a series called My First Christmas dot, dot, dot. And this really came about as I was thinking uh, about a Christmas series. I was thinking, you know what? For some of you that are, that are new, you don't realize this, but this is my very first Christmas as a lead pastor and as the lead pastor of Journey. I stepped into the role. Thank you. Appreciate that. I stepped into the role in January. And as I was thinking about it, it's like, man, it's different when, when, you know, approaching Christmas when something's your first, for me as a, as a first lead pastor. But I think a lot of us are experiencing a first. And so what we're going to do is we're going to navigate this. I just met a family. Um, this is their first Christmas as a family. So we'll talk about that. Like, what does that mean? Maybe it's your first family as a blended family together, or there's a, just a different dynamic and it's a first. Maybe it's your first uh, Christmas as empty nesters and trying to figure that out. And there's so many different firsts. And then we'll talk about, as you saw in the bumper, my, my first Christmas without them. And and maybe that means maybe you've experienced a divorce or tragically you've had a loss this year. And we know that there's hardship with coming around the holidays. Um, or maybe it's just for whatever reason, your family's separated. Uh, I know for me, this is the first Christmas I'm not going to spend in 18 years with my daughter. My daughter's a missionary in Australia and she's not going to be able to come home. And, and so we're going to navigate that a little bit. But today what I want to talk about is my first Christmas as a Christian. You know, this has been an incredible year. We've seen literally hundreds of people give their lives to Jesus, almost 400 people baptized this year. That means a lot of people. Yeah, we can celebrate that. Absolutely. That means a lot of people are experiencing Christmas for the first time as a Christian. And it should be different than what it was like last year for them. Or maybe you've been a Christian for many years, but, but we just, we've forgotten about what makes Christmas Christmas. Not the, not the TV, not, not all the commercialization, but, but about Jesus. And so that's what I want to navigate and talk about today. I don't, I don't know if you know this, but Christmas is finally here. That's where my fellow people say amen. Yeah. Christmas is finally here. I, I don't know if, if you notice when you go out and about, we, we used to say, uh, if you've gone to the mall, I don't know if anybody goes to the mall anymore, but it, you know, that there's smells, there's sights, there's sounds, everything's pointing to Christmas. And personally, I love this time of year. But when I say Christmas is finally here, that's not really what I'm referring to. And what I'm referring to when I say Christmas is finally here is, is the anticipation of Christmas is different today than it was 2000 years ago. Matter of fact, uh, Lake County online, Apopka, I want you to help, uh, I want you to help me sing this song. Maybe not sing it, just fill in the blanks if you would. It's beginning to look a lot like everywhere you go. That's the closest I'll ever get to singing, okay? So, <laughs> and so when we say this idea of Christmas finally here, well, here's the deal. We can count on it every December. We know that we're going to celebrate Christmas. Uh, it's like clockwork. Every December 25th, every December, we're going to gear up for it. But 2,000 years ago, it was a totally different story. You see, there was a different anticipation for Christmas. When they said Christmas is finally here, there was an anticipation. And that's what I want to walk through a little bit today. So well, where did the anticipation start? Well, from prophecies. You see, there were prophets. And what prophets would do is they would speak 
on the voice of God. They would speak on behalf of God and they would prophesy. They would, they would tell what is going to happen. In the birth, life, and death of Jesus, there were over 300 prophecies that were fulfilled. A- absolutely astonishing. Here's just a handful of some of the prophecies that would be fulfilled. And you got to imagine as, as people are trying to figure out, is this Messiah or is he in our generation? They're kind of thinking about their friends and checking boxes. The Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. The Messiah would be a descendant of David. So now, like, if you know those two, you're like, man, I know a couple of people from Bethlehem that are in the lineage of David. I, I think it could be them. Then they get that he'd be born of a virgin. And they're like, nope, nope, that didn't happen. Matter of fact, I don't know anybody on that list. That he was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. That how he would be put to death was prophesied. How his bones would be remained unbroken. How the soldiers would cast lots for his clothing. All of these are just a handful of prophecies. Peter Stoner, who's the chairman of Departments of Mathematics and Astronomy at Pasadena College, he and a team of 600 people, they wanted to do a study on eight specific prophecies, only eight out of the 300 plus. They wanted to figure out what is the probability that one person can fulfill just eight of them? What's the likelihood? And this is the conclusion. The prospect that anyone could satisfy eight out of the 300 was this number right here. One in 10 to the 17th power. Now, some of you, you were never good at math and some of you math was too long ago. You have no idea. You're like, that looks like a little number. And you're like, pastor, that is a little number. Like the 17 small, why'd you make it small? It's supposed to be big. That's a type. It's not a typo. That, that's, that represents a really, really massive number. Matter of fact, a number I've never even heard before. This one in 10 to the 17th power, this is, this is how you would say it. It's a hundred million, million, million. That's what that number represents. Yeah, you're not, it doesn't bother you. Okay. <laughs> I, I figured I had to unpack it a little bit. It's just too big. Peter, in his, in his book, Science Speaks, he describes that number like this. If you mark one of 10 tickets and place all the tickets in a hat and you thoroughly stir them and then ask a blindfolded man to draw one, his chance of getting the right ticket is one in 10. Like we would get that. He says, now that we get that, we'll take it to this number. It says this, suppose that we take 10 to the 17th power silver dollars, lay them on the face of Texas. They will cover all the state, not just would they cover the entire state, which is massive, but they would cover the entire state two feet deep. Now mark one of those silver dollars and stir it somewhere in the state of Texas. And then take the same blindfolded man and tell him he can travel as far away as he wishes, but he can only pick up that one silver dollar. That is the chance and that is the representation of that number, the probability is staggering. And so what we have is we have these prophecies that are coming and they're just, there's 300 of them. And what this is doing is building anticipation. Like the Jewish community, people looking for the Messiah, they're getting, they're just, man, they're on the edge of their seat. They're like, man, we, we hear all these, uh, we hear all these prophecies we're, we're waiting for. We got all these clues. We know what to look for. And then nothing. Like there's so much anticipation and then there is silence from God for 400 years. 
Does that make you feel impatient? Like if God doesn't answer our prayer in five minutes, we're like, all right, God, you got one more minute or I'm done with you. <laughs> 400 years of silence from the last time God spoke through a prophet to the birth of Jesus. And here's my question. How do you react to God when it seems like he's gone silent on you? Waiting on God can sometimes be the hardest thing for some of us. This time of year, the way I think about it, I don't know how you were as a kid, but for me, when I was a kid, December 25th was like the greatest day ever. The rest of the month leading up to December 25th, pure torture. <laughs> torture. December 1st comes around, hey, mom, dad, can I, can I open a present? Surely you're gonna let me open a present. Can I open a present? Can I open a present? Hey, can I open a present? Oh, you don't have me? What, what are you gonna get me? What did you get me? Is it wrapped yet? Where, where do you store them? I'm not gonna look, I'm gonna protect them. Okay, where are they? Okay. <laughs> maybe you don't know, talk to me for, on behalf of the big man. You know, where did he put them? Like, just talk, like, I don't want, so that's, that's December 1st. December 2nd, I wake up with new energy. Hey, mom, dad, where, where are they? What did you get? Uh, I just want, hey, just give me a clue. Give me a clue what it is. Give me a clue. How big, is it small? Is it big? It's big, isn't it? It's big. It doesn't, can't even fit in a box. Like, and there, and just nothing for two days. And now I think my parents hate me. Like nothing for two days. You hate me. And then the third day comes and I, what do I, I just can't stand waiting when I'm a six-year-old, eight-year-old kid. We just cannot wait until Christmas, right? This is, this is the anticipation and the silence that they are getting, but it's exponentially greater than that. You see, they are wanting a redeemer to restore their kingdom, they thought, here on earth. And the anticipation and the silence is deafening. So the question is, what do we do when we're waiting on God? Here's what I'll tell you don't do. I don't know if you know why Jesus was actually killed. One of the main reasons they killed Jesus was because he said he was the son of God. Okay, think about this. I want, I want us to logically think about this. There was prophecies about the Messiah. Then there was 400 years of silence. And like you and me, they got stir crazy in the silence. They got tired of twiddling their thumbs. And so they came up with a, a law. This is the law that they came up with. In John 19, 7, the Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law. And according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. Are you understanding what's happening? And they're waiting, listen, and they're waiting for the Messiah. They created a systematic way of eliminating the Messiah. You catching that? And they're waiting, they got tired of waiting, and they're waiting for God, and they're waiting for a Messiah. They created a system that would make them completely miss the Messiah once the Messiah comes. We have to kill you because you claim to be the Messiah. Like, what? And I think you and I do that. In our waiting, we create a system where we either miss or dismiss God. And I, I can do this sometimes too. You're like, well, what are you talking about, Pastor? In our waiting for God, when he doesn't answer us enough, we stop going to church. We, we stop reading the Bible. We stop listening to worship music. And in our waiting for God, we have systematically removed opportunities for the very God you want to hear from to speak to us. And in our waiting on God, we have systematically removed the probability that God could speak. Now, God can speak any way, shape, or form he wants, obviously, but you are removing the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work in your life. 
So how we wait on God is important. This is what I would tell you. In your waiting on God for something or someone, do not create a system that removes the presence of God from your life. And some of you are like, well, why are you saying that? We're the ones in church. Talk to, talk to them. You're preaching to the choir, pastor. Here, here's, I don't know if you know this, but here, here's one of the reasons why I'll tell you that. The average churchgoer in America, not the average person, the average person that goes to church attends church 1.7 times a month. Think about that. The average churchgoer attends church. It's in a massive decline. And so what that means is we attend church when we feel like it or when we want something. And what that means the other times is we have removed ourselves from the possibility or the ability to hear from God any other time that we don't want or need something from him. And what I would say is in your waiting, keep coming to church. In your waiting, keep listening to worship music. In your waiting, keep staying in the word. In your waiting, stay or join a small group. In your waiting, get plugged in to serving. Create more opportunities to hear the voice of God in your waiting, not less. Do not systematically remove the possibility for God to speak more to you. That would be my encouragement. So what do we do when God seems silent? I would say this. Go back and do the last thing he told you to do. If you don't know what the next thing to do is, go back and do the last thing he told you. Chances are, you and I, we don't need more information. We need more obedience. And, in, and here's the deal. We have an advantage over people thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago. We actually have a Bible. So he's already given us plenty of, he's already given us opportunities to hear from him. And every time, no matter what I'm praying for, every time I open the Bible, he always speaks to me. Why? Because Isaiah says, every time I send out my word, it never returns void. It always accomplishes what I want it to accomplish. And so every time I need a word, I just, I open the Bible. It's in his, it's in his, it's a, it's a promise I can count on. Go back to the last thing he told you to do. In your waiting, don't create a system to miss or dismiss God. You see, I I don't think all of us dismiss God. I don't think we do that intentionally, but what we can do is we can miss God. We can miss him because our eyes are taken off or we're discouraged. And in your waiting, do not create a system to miss or dismiss God. So maybe the idea is what do you do when you're you're waiting on? Maybe you're waiting for God to give you an answer to prayer on, on a relationship. Maybe it's a a relationship, you're like, God, give me a word, give me a fresh word. Would you give me something? What do I do? I would say, one, go back to the last thing he's told you to do. And then I would say, pray. The word of God tells us already what to do. Pray, serve them, love them, forgive them, and put it on repeat. Maybe you're waiting for God to give you directions on something else. And you're waiting, I would say, pray, listen, and go back and do the last thing he's told you to do. Whatever it is, do not create a system to miss or dismiss God speaking to you in your waiting. So we have some prophecies anticipating the coming of Jesus. And then we have silence. And then somebody breaks the silence. And y'all are like, I know, it's Jesus. Nope. It's a man named John the Baptist. You see, John the Baptist was the man that was coming and saying, hey, listen, get ready. He's coming. Hey, hey, get ready. He's about here. It reminds me a little bit, John the Baptist reminds me of our Advent calendars. Here's what Matthew 3, 1 through 3 says. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. 
This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of, uh, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. You see, this is my family's advent calendar. Advent calendars are like popular. They're, 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 they're famous right now. I don't know how much, anybody do an advent calendar? Okay, no, let me explain. That's great, no problem. It's awkward, it's weird, I'm the only one. That's okay, all right. So what we do is every day there's a door. I'll go back to the basics and, and you open the door. So does, today's December 3rd, so we'd open it. And for our family, uh, we put $100 bills in each one of these. And so on the third, we get a $100 bill. I've already gotten it. I was just making sure y'all are listening. Okay, good, good. I don't know if you've seen these, there's all kinds of advent calendars out there. Like literally, like, like last year, my son had one where every time he opened a, a door, it was a new pair of socks. Literally, you just get a new pair of socks every day. Uh, there, there are some where every time, every day you open it up and there's a brand new coffee from around the world. There's some, there's a, a brand new uh, thing of makeup or chapstick. I mean, it, the, the advent calendars, they're just booming. But when I think of John the Baptist, I think about an advent calendar. He, he's saying, hey, listen, the countdown's coming. Get ready, prepare the way. He's about to be here. The word advent means coming or arrival. And that's what John the Baptist is doing. He's signaling the fact that Advent is here. The coming of Jesus is upon us. You see, Advent, and we hear this word a lot. We don't maybe know what it means, but Advent is, it's really the four weeks leading up to the birth of Jesus. And some of you celebrate Advent, some of you don't. And some of you are like, isn't Advent that Catholic or that liturgical church kind of thing? And I would say a, a lot of Catholic or liturgical churches, absolutely, they observe it. But that doesn't mean that neither can you. Just because Catholics or because liturgical churches do something doesn't mean it can't encourage or inspire you. If anything points me to Jesus, I want to be about it. And so here's the thing. Uh, you might be saying, hey, hey, pastor, do I need to observe Advent? I would say it's not a yes or a no. I think Paul actually describes it. In Romans 14, five and six, he says this, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Should, so, so pastor, should I observe Advent? Yes. Pastor, should I not observe Advent? Yes, whatever you want. You just do what you feel is right, but don't put your conviction onto somebody else. You want, I know people that they love this season. It changes their quiet time, their, their prayer life. It does so many because they're stepping into an Advent season. It's a way that they reconnect with God in a fresh new way. That's great. That doesn't mean everybody has to, but maybe if that's something you wanna jump into, you're more than welcome. In the Old Testament, God would show up to a specific place, to a specific person, and say a specific thing. And for Moses, it was on top of Mount Sinai, it's where he got the 10 commandments. He would go up and he would have a meeting with God. And then Jesus came and he changed everything. Jesus made a way that we don't have to go to a specific place and that God doesn't just talk to one person and say one thing. He talks to all of us anywhere, all the time about everything. It's a game changer and I love it. And with that said, I wanna introduce you to the world's most inaccessible place of worship in the world. This is Ethiopia. 
The Tigray region in northern Ethiopia is known for its assembly of rock-hewn churches. Sculpted out of sandstone, the most wondrous of these is Abuna Yamataga. There's only one way up. You have to climb this cliff face. Welcome to the world's most perilous church. We're going to be taking a trip there next Christmas Eve. Anybody want to join us? Anybody want to go? It's a two-hour, it's a two-hour trek to get there, to get to church. You, you, I don't know if you noticed, they're barefoot, not because they want to, that's their ritual. You have to be barefoot. Anywhere on the climb, it's anywhere from 750 to 980 feet drop off. Imagine inviting your friend to church there. Like, hey, it's going to be good, man, I promise. <laughs> Nobody's died today, okay? Just relax. I'm not... I'm not suggesting having a church in a remote place like that is ungodly. What I am telling you is we no longer have to climb high. We no longer have to climb the mountains. We no longer have to climb up to heaven to try to connect with God that God has already climbed down for us. Pastor David Platt's a pastor, great pastor here in the United States and Several years ago, he was on a mission trip, and he shares a story that I just found fascinating. He shares a story how he ended up meeting a couple other people that were a part of other religions. And so there's three of them, all three different religions, and they're having this conversation about their different religions. And they said, one of the people said, all three of our religions are fundamentally the same, but superficially different. And Platt sounded, he said, it's almost like you guys believe that there's a God or a deity or something on top of a mountain. And I go this way up to find them and you go this way up and I go this way. And they said, yes, that's exactly right. And then Pastor David said this, what if I told you that we don't have to climb up the mountain to experience God, but that God came down the mountain and met us right where we're at. And they said, that would be amazing. And he said, that is exactly what Jesus came to do. That we no longer have to have it all together. We no longer have to jump through hoops to get to the top of the mountain, but that the God of the universe came down the mountain and met us right where we are. Sin, imperfections, mess, and all. And he got to unpack the gospel with them. That's what John 1.14 is all about. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is why we say, Emmanuel, God is with us. This is what we celebrate. This is what Christmas is all about, that Emmanuel, God is with us. And what we found is that the Messiah is nothing like we thought and everything like we hoped for. The Messiah, the coming Messiah, everybody, what they thought was coming, nothing like they thought, but everything we had hoped for. And this is why we call, call it good news. You see, in the, in the Bible, there's kind of the, the Christmas, the traditional Christmas story, typically in Luke 2. And in Luke 2, there's this woman named Anna. And Anna says that she's older in her age and she's a prophet, which meant she would have known all the prophecies 
about the coming Messiah and she would have prophesied or, or begin to prophesy once the Messiah comes. So she is on the edge of her seat. She is anticipation. And this is what it says in Luke 2.38. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph and she began praising God. She talked about the child to who? Everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. So here she's been on the edge of her seat. She can't wait. And now the Messiah has come and she goes and tells everyone. She tells everybody. Nobody came to her and said, hey, listen, you should probably tell people about Jesus. Hey, listen, can you tell some people about Jesus? No, no, no. It was such great news. It was such an answer to prayer. The wait is over. Christmas is finally here. She went out and told everybody, everybody. Why would she do that? Because at one, it has eternal implications. Knowing Jesus has eternal implications. It doesn't just change our eternity. It changes this life as well. That's why I love what Andy Stanley says. Jesus makes your life better and makes you better at life. This is why we tell people about Jesus, because we believe that Jesus makes your life better and makes you better at life. This past week, I was able to be a part of a conversation where I heard somebody that recently had rededicated her life. And she was in the midst of crying, thanking God, just being honest is more of a prayer at the moment. And I went, I want you to listen to what she said. Finding Jesus again has changed everything. She said, everything tastes better. Everything smells better. Everything feels better. That's what Jesus does. So when we have this anticipated good news to share, we don't just sit on our hands with it. If we know we have the good news that will make everything taste better, everything smell better, everything feel better for people, we don't just sit on our hands. No, what we do is we go and tell everyone the gospel. We tell everybody about the man that changed history, the greatest love story ever. Some of you are like, man, pastor, you want me to tell everybody about Jesus? That would be nice. But I, I, would, I, would, I would just handle, maybe you just tell five people. Yeah, I kind of, I set the bar high, I'll settle for five. So here's what we have, Christmas Eve, we have these invite cards. Christmas Eve is, out of any time in the calendar year, it's one of the greatest times that people will say yes to an invitation to church. They don't have to climb on top of a mountain. God's already come down here. And my prayer is that you would prayerfully consider inviting five people to hear the greatest story ever told on, on Christmas Eve. And so what you're going to do is on your way out, you're going to receive one of these. And here's how it's going to work. They're going to, they're going to give you one or two of these. And you're going to say, hey, listen, the pastor wants me to have five. And they're like, I, I don't know. You're like, listen, pa- you want me to get him? I'll tell- He's right there because they can't hear me right now. They're like, give me five. And then they're like, I don't know. And then you're like, give me five. And then they're going to be like, hey, calm down, ma'am. Okay, calm down, sir. Everybody just calm down. But I love your passion. Like, that's how passionate you're going to be. And I love that. Okay? Y'all are awake. That's good. (laughs) And my prayer is this, that you would invite five people. But then I would ask, would you bring one person or one family with you? Invite five, but bring one. Why? Because I I believe that it's going to change somebody's life. 
I think everybody, if not most people here online, Lake County, your life has been changed because somebody at some point extended an invitation to Jesus to you one way, shape, or form. And that's what we want to do. And you might be thinking, okay, well, tell me a little bit about Christmas Eve. We got 10 services this Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve this year is a little bit unique. It falls on a Sunday. So we'll have communion during Christmas Eve. We'll have traditional candlelight service. And it's going to be 10 identical services for you to choose from. Lake County, Apopka, online. We'll have 10 services. We'll have some in the morning, our normal Sunday morning times. And then we'll have a couple in the afternoon. And they're going to be identical. Okay. Everybody say identical. Okay. So now when you say in the lobby, you're going to go, hey, are those different services? Somebody's going to hear you go, no, 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 they're identical. And then you're going to say, hey, grab five of these. And then you're going to, everybody calm down. Okay. Okay. So they're all identical, 10 services. Let you choose, let you pick which one you want to come from. But my prayer is that you would invite five people, that you bring one person as we come together to hear the greatest story ever told. So if this is your first Christmas as a Christian, what you need to know is that Jesus' birth, his life and his death fulfilled over 300 prophecies. That it was this long anticipated wait that you and I know nothing about because we are on this side of Jesus, praise God. But just because we didn't experience the wait doesn't mean we can't experience the joy. And Jesus came and his coming changed everything. Let me pray for you. So Heavenly Father, God, we come before you and we thank you that we no longer have to climb up a mountain. We no longer have to risk life and limb at eight, 900 feet high to experience you. But instead you came down the mountain and you met us and meet us right where we're at. And God, our only response to that is to say thank you with our lives by surrendering our lives to you, by worshiping you. And so God, we thank you. We are overwhelmed by your kindness and your goodness. And right now, would you begin to give us the boldness and the courage to invite our friends, families, coworkers, neighbors, relatives to hear the greatest story ever told Christmas Eve. God, I pray that you would set up and align divine appointments. And so we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the weekly podcast from Journey Christian Church. If this message was a blessing to you, be sure to click the follow button and share it with your family and friends. For more information about Journey Christian Church, please go to journeychristian.com.